0: Let us bow at his feet He has done great things See what I see is done See how his love overcomes He has done great things God You do great things Oh God, you have done great. Every chain, oh God, you have i a temptation to neither all the worries so we live through the day and so we know that father's love our father's peace why should i worry why should i worry why should i freak out god knows what i need
1: Morning, MVCC. We are so overjoyed to have you here with us this morning. We're excited to worship with you, to be in the Word with you, and to just spend some time together today. If this is your first time here or you're a little new, we wanna to get to know you. So go ahead and text connect to the number on your screen so that we can get in touch. We are a church that serves together going out and greeting people as they come into church, passing out water bottles, whatever it may be. This allows us to stay in community and spend time with one another. So if you are interested in serving, go ahead and text serve to the number on your screen. Here at MVCC, we are a church that gives. We wanna encourage you to give this morning by going to our mobile app or our website. Pastor Mike has been serving us amazing messages the past couple of weeks. So we're really excited to hear what he has to say this morning. Let's head on over.
2: Well, good morning. It's great to be with you, especially around the word this morning. Uh, I am starting a new series, a four part series called Compelled. And it will definitely come together as we get into the fourth chapter of John. This is a four week series about just being compelled to follow Christ. Uh, This particular first part is about bridge building. And uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter four, and we'll start off in that in just a moment. But the whole idea of being compelled to do something uh, is a definition of compelled is simply this, to have a drive, an internal drive, with an irresistible effect. To have an internal drive with an irresistible effect. I think about people who are compelled to do something. Uh, I'm compelled to get my college degree. I'm compelled to finish this class. I have a, just this inner drive that compels me to maintain sobriety. I, I, I'm compelled uh, to enter in a certain vocation. I know we got one guy in our church, young adult, and you can just hear him for about five minutes when you're around him. You know that he is just compelled, driven to be a firefighter. He wants to be on the fire department and he's driven to do whatever it takes to get there. That, that, that ability to be compelled and put it to action is very intriguing to me. And I wanted to talk about that this morning in our lives as we follow God. I want you to do something for me. Um, I want you to just, if you have a piece of paper or your iPhone, and you can just uh, put these things in, I'd like you to put five names, five people that you think are far away from God or have maybe fallen away from God at one time, that you would like to see them come back. Five people that are on your heart that you would like to see either come to Christ or they've fallen away from God and you love them to, to come back to God. We'll get back to that in just a minute. Um, you know with all the uh, statistics going on about coronavirus and what's happening and not just in our nation but the world, you, know, you can't turn on the radio or the internet or the news without hearing the statistics, the numbers. Here are some stats that I want us to keep in mind before we get into to John chapter 4. I was not aware that within a 24-hour period 150,000 people will die. 150,000 people within a 24-hour period will pass away. Every hour 6,316 people will step into eternity. Each minute 105 people will take their last breath on earth. So here's my question out of all those all those people how many of those people are saved? How many of those people know the Lord? How many of those people are going to be in heaven? A famous author named Dr. John said this, Make no mistake, the biggest crisis is not the coronavirus. As devastating as it is, but the biggest crisis is all those who are Christ-less. There's something um, within me that just burns um, in my heart about people that are lost and wanting them to be found by God. And I just, I just see the work of, of God and the work of the church. We can be so distracted in so many different areas and forget that the main thing is helping people get to a relationship with Jesus Christ and helping them to become disciples of Jesus Christ. I want us to learn about bridge building this morning as we take a look at the fourth chapter of John. Jesus is the master bridge builder. And we're going to learn from his example on how to share our faith. And my hope is this is not just something that, well, I got to do this or it's the right thing to do. But I'm really praying deeper than this, that that it becomes this compelling thing within us, that the Holy Spirit of God just compels us that we want to share our faith with people that are lost. And so in the fourth chapter of John, before I read this text, um, Jesus invites these 12 guys, if you're new to this, he invites these 12 men... Uh, embarking on this um, unpredictable roller coaster ride of following Jesus through the Palestinian area, not knowing what's going to happen next. He says to Andrew from the fishing docks, hey Andrew, come follow me. He says to Peter, come follow me. To Matthew who was a tax collector, I want you to leave your tax collecting booth and come follow me. He says to James and John who were also on the fishing docks in the family uh, business of fishing, he says, I want you to leave that behind and come follow me. And what we find here in the fourth chapter of John, I'm sure just was mind-boggling to the 12 guys that were following Jesus because he does something so out of the norm, he breaks all the barriers, he breaks all the social uh, norms in the day to reach one person. And so I just want you to go with me into this text in this place called Samaria that Jewish people would never go through this area because there were racial tension, there was conflict, um, the, this, this, this social stigma, if you will, of going through this area that 722 B.C., the Jewish people and the people of the Assyrians were marrying together and formed these people called the Samaritans. And, and it was actually it was wrong in the sight of God in that day because he wanted the Jewish people to remain pure so the Messiah would be born into that bloodline. And, and, and so the Jews saw these people as kind of half-breeds, if you will. They, they saw them as, 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 as the lowlife. They saw them as on the margins of society. So they would never go through this place. And Jesus knew that, and Jesus made a point to go through Samaria. He could have gone around it, he could have avoided it, but he goes through the city to meet a very special person at this well. So he says to the disciples, look, I want you guys to go into the town and get some food. I'm going to hang out here by this well, fully well knowing that Jesus had a divine appointment with this woman. Let's pick it up in verse 4, chapter 4 of John. So now he had to go through Samaria, So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, as Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, "'Will you give me a drink?' His disciples went into the town to buy food, and the Samaritan woman said to him, "'You are a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman.' How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Let's just stop here for a minute and just want to go through what, what, what is happening and why is Jesus doing this? There, there's something going on inside of this woman that she would come to this well. Normally, she would come at a different time of the day, but she comes at noon because she doesn't want to be seen by other women. She had a probably a reputation. She was not in the right race of society. So she comes... Because she doesn't want to be bothered and she comes by herself. I just I just want us to note that Jesus knew who she was. Jesus knew that the Samaritans were worshiping idols. Jesus knew that they did not have the right heart for the one true living God and yet Jesus is willing to sit down with her and associate with her and befriend her. He knew that she was from a different race. He knew that she was probably a different color, skin color, and he certainly knew that she came from a long line of those who were worshiping false gods. Yet Jesus goes through Samaria to sit down with her at this well. Now That's kind of interesting. I, I think, you know, if I was writing this, the story of Jesus's life, you know, I wouldn't want, would want Jesus to go to the governor. If he's going to go into this town to proclaim who he was, I would go to the governor. I would have him go to the mayor. I'd have him go to the city council. I'd have him go to this dignitaries because I, I, I would want the word to get out as quickly as possible, that Jesus is God, and that he came from heaven to give us this great news, but he doesn't do that. He comes to this woman of Sychar, and he sits down, and I just love the way John writes this text, inspired by the Holy Spirit. As Jesus was tired, he asks her for a drink of water. She's drawing water from this well. She sits down. It's hot, Jesus wipes the sweat from his brow, and he asks her for a drink. Little did she know that she was going to have the divine appointment of her life that would change her entire life. You know, it was the um, summer of 1983 that my sister invited me to go to a concert. I didn't want to go because it was a Christian concert. and At the time, I didn't know Christ, and I wasn't raised in the church, and so she invited me to go. The only reason I went to this concert is because her friend was going, and I wanted to date her friend. Little did I know that when I got into the parking lot in San Juan Capistrano, walked into the building with about 300 other high school students, little did I know that I was going to have this divine appointment with God. I just think that's so cool that when we follow God, you never know what's going to happen next. This woman... As she's sitting down with Jesus, strikes up a conversation, and they begin to have this discourse. Jesus notices that she's something's missing in her life, and he looks over her at her, and he sees the water that's being drawn as he takes a sip of it, and he says, you know, I could give you living water, and you'll never, ever be thirsty again. And I can imagine her in this moment just, you know, looking at Jesus with this kind of confused look. And she's looking at the water in the jar, and she's not making the connection. There's something of truth that Jesus speaks, but she's not getting it. It's just not registering. Have you ever talked to someone about the Lord or tried to share the good news or maybe your experience with God with somebody, and it's just not registering? Well, I love the fact that Jesus is patient with her, and he doesn't give up. I just, I just want us to see the pattern that Jesus has here very naturally as he has this conversation with the Samaritan woman. One is that, that Jesus goes out of his way to sit down with her. It, it cost him something. It cost him time. It cost him his thought process. It, it cost him something. It was a sacrifice to stop in the middle of the day to send the disciples to get something to eat and sit down and have this conversation with her. The second is that I like the fact that he listens to her. And he has this conversation, and she's still not understanding. In fact, when he says, you know, I could give you living water, you'll never be thirsty again, she goes into this, 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 this rabbit trail conversation of, you know, our, our fathers used to worship over here where she's probably pointing to the temple. And Jesus brings her back to what he's really trying to communicate to her, that I am the living water. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the one that the Jews had been waiting for generation after generation after generation. And so Jesus then begins to share the message with her. He goes out of his way. He listens to her talk about her life, what she thinks, what's her theology, what she thinks about God, and then he's willing to share the simple message that will give her hope. You still got those five names? Please hold, hold on to those five names because I really want us to just to listen to what God is saying about Jesus as the master bridge builder here. He says to her, I love Jesus. He's brilliant. Jesus is so amazing. He never condemns her. He doesn't judge her. He asks her a question. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes questions reveal the truth or what's really there. And so he asks the question, he says, why don't you go, why don't you go get your husband and bring him here? Because obviously he knew what the answer would be. He wanted her to have a self-discovery of that she really had that emptiness in her life. And she says, I can imagine her kind of dropping her head. And she said, Sir, I don't have a husband. In fact, I've had five husbands. And I think when she said that, I think her countenance kind of fell to the ground, and she was probably ashamed because she had been married five times. And I love Jesus' response because, again, he doesn't condemn her. He reveals to her the truth about who she is and what she's doing and why she's doing it. As he says to her, And I can imagine Jesus saying it in a tone that was not condemning, but understanding. I know you've had five husbands. In fact, the guy that you have now, I know he's not your husband. Boyfriend, live-in guy, whatever was going on there, I know he's not your husband. It's, It's not a right relationship. Again, Jesus doesn't condemn. I think what Jesus is doing is revealing to her so she could see that she's going down to these empty wells of life trying to fill her emotional cup, if you will. Her, her, her emotional state of trying to be fulfilled by having relationships with these guys. And it's just always going to come up empty. And that's why he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. He's revealing to her that he is the Messiah. It's just really kind of cool here in verse 11 where she addresses him as sir. Then in verse 19, she realizes he's a prophet. He's got to be somebody special, somebody from God, because how could he know that I had five husbands? And then in verse 25, it's revealed to her that he is the Messiah, that he is fully God and he's fully human. The other thing is, I think it's revealed to her in that moment that Jesus's love is for free. Jesus has a love for her that will never leave and Jesus will give her a reason to wake up in the morning. So she won't have to go to those empty wells to fill her emotional cup. She won't have to go to these guys to try and fill the f- the lack of fulfillment in her life. And this is a moment for her when it's all revealed that Jesus says, you, you know, Jesus said to her, "You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man that you have now is not your husband." What you have said is quite true. And then he goes on to reveal to her that God is spirit, verse 24, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. What he's trying to reveal to her is that I can be your fulfillment. I can enter into your heart. If you receive me and believe in me and live for me, you won't have to go to those empty wells into the world anymore. So, Jesus says, I love you for free. I'll never stop loving you, and I'll give you a reason to wake up in the morning. You know, of all the things that Jesus was accused of, the one that's ama- most—I just—just ironic to me is that they called Jesus a friend of sinners. I, I think that's a compliment, man. I—I I love the fact that Jesus hung out with sinners, and what we mean by sinners in the Bible—it just means people that are far from God, people that are lost. And the reality is, we're all sinners. We've all been lost, and—and and so Jesus is saying, "I have come." so that you may have life and have it to the full. I have come because I wanted to find you and save you and set your life on a new course. So here's the question I have. It says here in the end of this text that when when it was revealed to her that Jesus was the Messiah, she went back to her town and told everybody, I found the guy. I found the Messiah. I found the God-man. I found the one that's been told about in the Old Testament that would come to save his people from their sins. I found God. And I love it says at the end of this text that many believed because of this woman's testimony. It's just, it's awesome to me that Jesus chose the Samaritan woman that nobody would ever give any second look to to be the most incredible soul winner that could ever be used. It's amazing to me. Jesus' style is awesome. You know, Jesus chooses people that don't have it all together. He chooses people, quite to the contrary, that don't have it together. And as he reveals his love and his plan, and they clamp onto that, then he uses them. It's it's amazing. So here's a question I have as we're wrapping this up. What was so compelling in her life that caused her to go back to her town and tell everybody and not worry about the fact that they might reject her, they might think that she's mentally ill, they might think all kinds of things of her. She didn't care. All she wanted to do was to get the message out. Why? Why did she? Is it because she went through all these classes and she had enough information? Is it because she felt like, well, I have to do this? This is something I need to do. It would be the right thing to do. It was the way I was raised she was compelled. She couldn't help it. She was simply telling her story of what had happened to her, to her hometown of people that she cared about. She had her five people, if you will. So here's the question for us. As Jesus went through Samaria, who are the people in some area of my life and your life that are far away from God That need to know his love. This is this is the most beautiful thing that I think is happening right now. I believe if you are a follower of Christ and part of a church, God is changing something within the church. I believe that God is is changing the focus of how we get the good news of Jesus Christ out to people. It's not necessarily now come and see a church service, although that's okay. Some people will come to God through that. But it's not, I gotta bring somebody to my pastor. No. We are as followers of Christ. You can share the message. You can share. You've had an experience with God. God's love touched your life. You've been transformed. You're saved. You know that you're going to heaven because of his grace and his mercy and his love. And now you just simply want to share that with people because it's, you're compelled to do that because you've been touched with the love of God. That's why she did it. So what do we learn from this? If you're listening to this right now, and think you know what i'm not really compelled what i want to say is i think the perfect thing to do right now is to get on our knees and ask god would you put a compelling spirit in my life in my heart to want to share you lord with somebody that's lost i think i think the next thing we can learn from from jesus's example is if if you are listening to this or watching this and you are compelled i think the first thing is to pray. That's, Jesus modeled it for us. He often went to a solitary place to pray. Jesus went over here to pray. He left his disciples for a moment and went away and prayed. Prayer brings about these divine appointments. And the kind of prayer that I believe God wants us to pray is, is I've got my five people to go to some area where they are, and I'm willing to be an answer to that prayer. It's not, Lord, just save him and I'll go do my life. God, help me to be an answer to that prayer. Whatever I can do to help bring the message to somebody's life. I think the third thing I see in Jesus' example and very practical for for us today is Jesus was extremely real and authentic with this woman. I love that about Jesus. I think that's why people flocked to follow him. Because he was real. He sat down in a well, at, at a well with a woman. He acknowledged that he was Uh, in a moment of thirst. He asked her for a drink of water. He was willing to be authentic and real. I think if we are real and authentic and loving and and, and we have a purpose of wanting to get people to salvation and to relationship with Jesus, people will come. That's building the bridge. Jesus didn't come to, to, to separate. He came to reconcile people to himself. And so, um, I just think this woman was rescued to be a rescuer. I think this woman had a divine appointment with Jesus. She had this experience with God and nothing would ever change that. Her life was different and she goes and she shares the message. I think that is what God is calling the church to do right now at this moment. Everything we do is about helping people to get to the cross. See, it would be a year and a half later that Jesus would lay himself down on the cross those Roman soldiers would nail His hands and feet into that cross because of you, because He loves you, because He wants you to know Him in eternity, to be with Him, and He wants to fulfill your life now. You can make that decision now. It's simply believe, receive Him, and then follow Him. You know, um, I had some people in my life that I was wanting to share the message of the good news with. I had this guy that I played tennis with, and I just had a heart for him. I just wanted him to know God. I could tell that, you know, he just had some things going on in his life and he was apart from God. And so, you know, as I was playing tennis with him week after week and just, you know, watching for an opportunity and just try to be real and authentic and loving with him and not try to be phony or do anything weird, just try to be normal with the guy. There was an opportunity that I said, you know, I was just going to ask him, hey, Do you mind if after tennis we can go grab a lunch and uh, I just want to tell you my story and just how God you know changed my life and I'd love to help you with that and his response was as as he was grabbing a tennis racket out of his bag he says no I'm good thanks anyway and I was like inside I was like crushed I'm like no I wanted him to say yes but I got to believe that there's going to be a divine appointment and I'm not going to give up I'm going to be patient just like Jesus was patient with this woman I'm going to keep praying and watching for an opportunity for him to come to know God. See, in 1983, my sister never gave up on me. She prayed and prayed and prayed for six months that I would become a Christian. And I'm just so glad that she was willing to sit down at the well and share the message with me and invite me in. So I just, I I want to encourage you. If you have been rescued by God, God has called you to be a rescuer for somebody else. Let's get out there and share the message. For these next three weeks, we're going to be going through this compelling you know, spirit that I believe God wants us to be revived with to share the greatest message known to mankind. Hey, I hope I'll see you here next week. If you made a decision to follow Christ, uh, you can find us here on Sunday morning. We have 10 a.m. service live. If not, you can go to our website. We would love to help you in your first steps with Jesus Christ. We'll see you again next week.